Mark, you know, we've done quite a lot of episodes of this show. I've had to stare at your bloody face for quite a lot of these episodes. I've had, had the pleasure of staring at quite blessing, a lot of blessing, less blessing. annoying faces than yours over the past, uh, past year or so. But can you remember when we had um, had Elijah on the show? I think he's like episode 35 or something, somewhere around that, that ballpark. Yellow Squares Elijah. Yellow Squares Elijah. One of my favorite parts of that show, it was one of our most successful shows, was he's like one of the kings of thought-provoking kind of concepts and ideas for musicians, right? Ross, who we've got on today, Ross Wilson, is in a very similar space to me, as in like even just going through his Twitter, it will provoke your thoughts and get you thinking outside of the box, as cheesy as that is. So I think this is a really exciting episode, and I can't believe I just called royalties exciting. But what's the exciting part about it, Mark? Money. Do you want to give him a little pre-sell to that number that comes up, Mark? That big number? The number that genuinely gets mentioned in this show, Mm. which is genuinely linked Mm. to money owed, Mm. to human beings Mm. who create music like you Mm. was Mm. 1.2, I sound like Dr. Evil here, billion pounds. (sighs) Could buy a few burritos with that. Ross, I think we often joke at the start of these shows that a lot of the people we have on these shows, you know, experts in their field, you can almost have like a greatest hits album worth of knowledge that we want to try and get out of you for our audience. And I think even before we start chatting to you and get into that brain of yours for the wisdom you have, I might just encourage our listener to go to your Twitter to have a bit of a pep talk first, because I was going through it, I went through the past few weeks and I was like, I can take on the world. I can take on anything. I can take on Mike Tyson. Oh, man, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm only half joking because, you know, context is important. I think a lot of you share a lot of, specifically on Twitter as well, some really interesting, sounds cheesy, but thought-provoking thoughts. Yes. So with that in mind, Mm -hmm. you're also in this very unique position where you've worked in multiple different parts of the music industry. Yes. The first question I'm going to ask you is a broad question, but it's Mm -hmm. intentionally broad because I I want to see where you want to go with it, which is our audience is musicians at the start of their career. Uh We're thinking probably under the age of 25. Yeah. And they're good. They're making good music. They're playing good shows. We can't help them if they're not good. So we're assuming they are good at the music thing. Mm -hmm. They now want to start making a living from their music. And that's, that's their big goal. What, in your opinion, are the three things that they should be thinking about doing, the skills they should be after to help them reach that level? So the first one is understanding the flow of income. As a musician, as a creative in the music business, there's multiple streams of income. The most popular one that people understand is PRS, but there's a plethora of other ones that you can attach to and understand. For example, we have neighboring rights. Neighboring rights is essentially a royalty attached to the master whenever the master recording is used. So think broadcast, think cinemas, think pubs, bars, but only on the master. That is typically split between the rights holder and the performer. If you're, say, a guitarist that's played on a record and you were in the studio and your performance is on that record, you're entitled to a portion of neighbouring rights. There's also mechanicals. Now, mechanicals is a touchy subject, particularly because a lot of artists don't claim the mechanicals, right? So you have your performance Mm -hmm. and you have your mechanicals on both sides, both publishing and master. Once you understand these concepts, making money becomes a whole lot easier because if you know you get paid every three months for mechanicals and performance and then you get paid twice a year from neighboring rights, it allows you to map out your yep. income for the next 12 months, especially if you're playing shows and you know, you're getting bits of radio play here and there and you know, you're doing some interesting stuff. You may be playing festivals and, and it just allows you to, 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 to really be 
in control of your creative process. So you know, yeah. okay, I've made, let's say, 12 grand off of these royalties. It allows me to do X, Y, Z. So definitely understand income and where it comes from. The second one would be, don't be so hard on yourself. Like, enjoy the process. So I was having a conversation mm-hmm. today with my business partner about looking forward to all the stuff we have coming, but also be grounded in the present moment. Because we can get carried away on both sides of the, the fence. If something negative happens, you kind of dwell on that. But then if something yep. positive happens, you may dwell on that and not focus on the work that needs to be done. Fall in love with the process of, of making music. And that will allow you to be consistent and show up and not be too bogged down by the social media stuff. Really, you know, And help you grow as an artist. Because ideally, I would hope that everybody loves what they do. So if you're in music, you clearly love what you do. So just fall in love with the process. And the third one is, I think, understand the market that you're getting into. Like, for example, if you go for a job interview, you're not going to just go for the job interview. You're going to do some research of the company that you're going to interview with, their values, how they operate. And being a musician is no different. You really have to understand the market you're going into, the genre you're going into, um, where it sits in the market compared to other genres. And if it's something that you can create a sustainable career from. So, for example, if you want to be a drum and bass MC, like what are the probabilities you're going to have commercial success versus it'll be a great side hustle? Because there are there was a scene, but it may not be enough for you to make a strong living off of kind of thing. So yeah. it's understanding the markets you're getting into and um, setting your expectations based on that rather than, you know, I guess I'm going to be the next Kanye West or, you know, whatever. <laughs> I think we need to uh, do a little bit of GCSE music and um, get some Ross one-liners to define some of those big words he used at the start, mechanicals, masters. Let's just clarify the difference between songwriting royalties, Mm. performance royalties, please. So let's start with the publishing songwriter-producer royalties because that's where I think a a lot of artists and creatives lie. So when you create a work for work, we mean a song. It's split down. It's split down the middle. So you have performance, you have mechanicals, and once you create that song, once it's performed, or once it's played or used in any form or fashion, it generates those two royalties straight off the bat: mechanicals and performance. Yeah. Where the money's made or where the deals are calculated is based on the mechanicals, not just the performance. So if a publisher mm-hmm. comes to you and says we want to sign you, they'll be calculating your multiples or what the deal points are based off of the mechanicals and a little bit of the performance. So for example, if you write 50% of a song as a songwriter, you're entitled to that 50% and then that 50%, once it's paid out, will automatically come to you. So Mm -hmm. that's on both composition and lyrics. If you write 25%, same, same thing, and it's registered according to your input on the song and that comes to you every quarter so it's paid out every three months. And at the end of the year, I think there's like two payments as well. So mm-hmm. that's on the songwriting side of things. On the master side of things, you have streaming royalties. There's a performance, which is neighboring rights. You then get paid out based off of the, the use of that work. For example, if the master is played in a cinema for a determined amount of time, you get a royalty paid out and that's collected by PPL. There mm-hmm. are agencies out there that do the same thing like Lime Blue. But generally, that's, those are the things you want to sign up for. PPL, that's free. PRS, I think it's £100. But somebody said to me the other day, they're doing it for a discounted thing at £30 at the moment. 
and then there's MCPS, mm-hmm. which is um, the mechanical side, which is £100. But you can only sign up to MCPS once you've had radio play or some form of generation because they're not. Just, you can't just sign up yeah. for it. Once you have those three locked in, once the song streams, you get you, it's it's peanuts. But you get a performance in a mechanical. Once it's played publicly, you get a performance in a mechanical. Yeah. Even like for example, if you perform a live set and you go and register the set, you then get paid a mechanical in a side point. What happens with the live is a lot of artists don't register their live sets, so a lot of those royalties mm-hmm. are claimed. Or what will uh-huh. happen is the people who do actually register live sets get all the money. So for the, ve- yeah. for the venue pay like a license, say they've had 52 performances over the, the span of the year and 20 people register their sets, or 20 people yeah. will divvy up that money over the span of the year. So that's super important. All of these things add up. So I had a friend of mine who just got his first PRS check and his PRS check alone on the performance was about a grand or 1500 And that's because he performs a lot. So he registered his sets yeah. as he was going along. It can be very lucrative, but I think a lot of artists don't understand that these things are out there. So when they come speak yeah, to me, I'm like, listen, this is what you need to do. This is where the money is. By the way, I think it's 30 quid to join PRS now if you're under 25. Okay, there we so, go. Um, you can, if, if the last five minutes gave you a headache, because this is proper complicated stuff, it's like degree level trying to get your head around this stuff. It's yeah. not what musicians dream of having to deal with. You get a good return on investment by spending 30 quid on joining PRS and let them sort a lot of it out for you. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, there, there was an element of you registering this, the, the works correctly, but that mm-hmm. process can be simple once you do it once or twice. So, you know, I wouldn't worry about that. But the admin is where a lot of people fail. I don't know if you guys have heard of black box royalties. That's where unpaid royalties go into like this black box, and then after five oh, years, okay. yeah, after yeah. five years, it doesn't get claimed. It gets redistributed to all the publishers and the writers. Goes to Elton John, basically, doesn't it? After five years. <laughs> basically. <laughs> so I think the last the last cycle was one point two billion or something like that in unclaimed royalties. So it's, it's quite a big pot of of money that's not being claimed. Hang on, let's let's have a reload on that. One point <laughs> two billion pounds of dollars. <laughs> Pounds. Of royalties unclaimed by musicians yeah. over a five-year period. Yeah. So it's over 200 million pounds a year unclaimed. <laughs> yeah. Money that is out there that is due to you and you've not done your forms properly, so you haven't got it. There we go. There we go. And and it gets bigger every year because what happens is, and a lot of people don't know this, is that the publishers and the record labels on the back end of things, when it comes to like metadata, don't necessarily speak to each other. So Hmm. one example is you can have a cover that's, you can cover a song and because there's so many covers out there, but they're not registered properly, one person may get all the money for those covers because things aren't registered properly. So, so they're getting, they're getting all the money and they think, oh, I'm doing really well. Oh my God, this is amazing. Not understanding (laughs) they've got, because they've got the same track name, the same cover name yeah. their their royalties are getting diverted somewhere else so wow it, the importance of metadata is like they're still trying to develop systems to actually make it easier for artists to understand metadata mm. because it like music it can be quite complicated and if you put <laughs> like for example if you use a capital as opposed to like say a common in the title of a mm. song and then it's changed on it's registered different on the back end that may not pick up that the song has been played. Wow. So then someone like me will go in and look 
at everything in, and then do the, the right submissions to get everything kind of in line. It's a time-consuming job. So as a manager, that's a big thing on what you do, which is making sure that the income gets picked up, all the registrations are right, all the back-end is taken care of, and the distributors and labels uphold their end of registering the songwriting credits and all that stuff because mm. if that's not right then nobody gets paid so this could sound like it's only really relevant to you once you're actually having some success the reason it's relevant at the start of your career mm-hmm. is by sorting this shit out now you make sure you get the money yeah yeah um, because essentially essentially that's the that's what independent artists say right like we need to make money off our music and if <laughs> the, the back end isn't right there's a reason why you're not making money off the music and i'm, I'm not saying that's the root cause of all independent artists not making money, but it, it's a big part of the reason why they're not making money. What you are identifying, there are some musicians out there right now thinking, I need more money, yeah. and they are actually owed it. Yeah. They just haven't <laughs> done their paperwork proper. Exactly. To your point, Ross, which of um, you know, the fact that it's often left to the teams to sort a lot of this stuff out, right? Like the managers or the people that are in charge of the marketing, blah, 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 blah. Is there because you've just acknowledged this very key point of people were effing up their metadata can mm-hmm. be a big part of why they don't get paid. Yeah. And you, you even acknowledge, you know, people are trying to build systems to make this easier, but they're not quite there yet. Is there anything that is there to make it easier for an independent musician? Is there an app? Is there a website? Is there a service they can pay 100 quid a year for, but it sorts all their metadata out for them? So there's there's an app called Song Splits on the publishing side. And what that does is it mm-hmm. you kind of input all the data it puts everything in catalog form and you can export it mm-hmm. as, a, as a PDF. So if a publisher or a TV company, whoever comes along and they want to look at your catalog, you have it in one space, one yeah. place. Um, I do think they're trying right. to create like APIs into the back ends of PRO so it all connects, but I don't think they're quite uh, there. Sick. But cool. that's one one way. The, the, the super old school way of doing things is as soon as the song is done, you can do it two ways. You can either have an email with the splits and that's kind of like your poor man's way of like having everything in one space. Or you can actually do it formally, yeah. break out the spreadsheets, type in everything, <laughs> everyone's PRS number, yeah. IPI number, yeah. um, producer name, real name, and have it in a spreadsheet. But that's also time consuming. Yeah. So and I don't <laughs> think musicians like spreadsheets. I think they're like allergic to spreadsheets. So. <laughs> So, yeah, there, uh, there aren't many MCs dreaming of spreadsheets. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So it's like, I think, that, I think the important thing is artists need to understand there's two sides of the music business. There's what you see, which is super glamorous, mm. the award shows, yep. people getting brand partnerships, then being in movies and performing and it's all good. And then there's the actual boring yep. side of it where it's yep. very admin heavy. It's looking at computer screens for a long time. It's trying to figure it all out. <laughs> and that's and that's why that brings me on to why it's important to have a manager. These things can get quite <laughs> quite intense. Well, I mean, let, let's talk about that then, Ross, because it, it feels like a very obvious um, a very obvious jumping off point. You know, probably one of the most common questions that we get is when is the right time to get a manager? Um, and there are a few different opinions on this, and it will, diff- you know, nuance. There will be differences based on genre. There will be differences yeah, based on are you a live artist or a streaming artist, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But yeah, in your opinion, your your crash course on when is the right time to get a manager? Super simple answer to that is when there's something to manage. If an artist comes to me and says, look, I'm the best thing ever, and you go on their streaming, you know, their Spotify, their Apple, and there's like mm. 20 streams, 
it's, <laughs> it's probably not the right time. But if you have had, say, a song out, it's not the it's not the greatest streaming number, but it shows that there's interest. You can then engage and say, well, what what, what do you think the next step should be for me? These are my songs. This is my plan. And then based on that, if they say if you like the plan as a manager, you'll be like, I can add to that. I like the music. I think I can, you know, put this in front of a few people and ten x what you're doing. Like, let's figure it out, kind of thing. You know what I mean? So when there's something to manage, because at the end of the day, as well, managers, we we have to make money somewhere. So it's like figuring out what that finance is between how much do I invest into someone, like post they're making, you know, some real money. Versus it's just like a, a fruitless thing. If, if you want to engage in a manager, I always say start with the questions of how can I get better as an artist? Where do you, like, yeah. don't just come out the bat and say, can you manage me? It's like, well, how can you get better as an artist? Like, I've yeah. got these songs. I'm not sure what to do with them. Like, you know, can you offer some advice? Or, mm-hmm. you know what? I've got this really cool idea. Can I have like 20 minutes of your time? Jump on a phone call yeah. and you know, add some context and just build the relationship. And then if you see the relationship is working, then double back and be like, you know what? I think we get on really well. I think I've got some stuff going on and I can benefit from what you have going on. Like, what do you think, you know, about doing like a trial period or, you know, something that works for both parties? Because like managers, we put a lot into what we do. Often thankless, but it's the nature of the job we choose. And I think that that's the best place to start, really, when it comes to like the whole management conversation. I think people overcomplicate it. It's just like, cool, what do you have to manage? Well, I'm doing this show, that show, that show. Okay, cool. Like, let's figure it out. Yeah, it's a great one-liner. As we record this on the 12th of Jan, uh, 2024, you've put a tweet out recently, which I think you also shared to Instagram, about the longer-term marketing strategies and how we've like a lot yes. of focus on the short-term stuff. Yeah, um, I thought that was really interesting because probably one of our biggest frustrations is the artist that has an amazing song and they do yeah. one Instagram post about it and then never even think to post about it again. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think the sentiment, if I understood it right, is you saying, you know, like, let's not just give up after week one or two of marketing it. Let's build yeah. a bigger campaign. But yeah. could you kind of share, yeah, your thoughts on on that kind of longer term marketing? So I was looking at um, specifically this song that I heard on on Instagram that sent me down like a, a rabbit hole one night. And I was like, let me like, let me figure out. Cause the, the meme page posted the song, like this is actually a great song. And I think about three weeks later, I was like, oh, where's that song gone? Right. Yeah. Which then led me on to like some other stuff. And I was just like, you know what? I don't think in the UK, and I, I don't know much about other markets mm-hmm. and how they, they do their thing. But in the UK specifically, I'm like, I don't think we spend enough time marketing records. Like if you look at a lot of the viral records, they tend to go viral months after they've come out, right? And that's because the the artist hasn't stopped promoting them or they've figured out like some algorithm hack that they can just jump into. And us in the UK, like we let the songs go too quickly. There's tons of music out there and it's called the long tail model where you just continuously remind people that your music's out there in very creative and different ways. Right, you don't have to make big splashes, which mm. is what we do in the UK. We, we we have so much emphasis on chart position and streaming numbers that I think personally, it's better to have a song that streams consistently over a year period than having a song that goes up really high one week 
and then drops down to yeah, like yeah. 200 streams a day after the first two weeks. And I was looking at like the playlisting and the emphasis on playlisting and just, just stuff like that. And I'm like, there's no real solid marketing strategy that goes into this. It's like, we're just going to do these touch points because we know it's going to do well the first two weeks and then whatever after that. And then you compound that with the fact that a lot of artists don't have follow-up records. It kind of creates this this ecosystem of very microwavable music that comes out and goes and comes and goes and comes and goes. And it's like, well, mm. as a music fan, I would just love something to stick. You know, like when, <laughs> when, when I was 12, it was Macarena. And I'm like, that song was around for a good year and a half, <laughs> right? In every single party. And I'm like, I got tired of it, but, you know, it, it still it had sticking power. And I yeah. think a lot of records don't have their sticking power because they lack the marketing thing, whatever that is. So whether it's an artist thing or it's a label thing or it's a combination of all, both of them, and then the managers don't know how to continue that conversation, I think it's just mm-hmm. like we need to figure that out because it's the only way that music actually becomes sustainable. Yeah, if something only sticks around for 12 hours, it's not really viral. Viruses stick around for ages. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Ross, me and Sam have a lot of empathy for music managers. We yeah. do see how tough a gig it is, how unappreciated yeah. it can be sometimes. But our job is to rep the musician. Come on. <laughs> so could I ask you, what, what would your tips be for a musician who's been approached by a very charismatic individual saying, I'm going to make you famous? Um, what questions should you be asking that potential manager when you're first dating, for want of a better expression? The first question is, do they fit your genre? specifically. So it's like, well, who have you managed in my section of the music business? And what makes you feel that if you haven't, that you can take this on? So ask them questions like, where do you see yourself as a manager in three to five years? The same questions that you would ask, yeah. they would ask you, you can ask them. Like, what does your business look like? Because what you find a lot of the time is an artist will get with a manager and then the manager will get this amazing label offer to go work at a label and leave the the artist kind of stuck to figure out what Mm -hmm. to do. And it's sad, but a lot of it is kind of like, okay, I'm going to do for me. The other part of that is like, if they're aware of their losses and their situations that they could have done better in, that shows a person that's massively self-aware of their own inadequacies. And if they can tell you, well, you know what, I could have done better here, here and here, but with you, this is, this is what I want to do in order to rectify that. It shows a person who's willing to grow over time rather than someone who's stuck in their way and, and can be adaptable to your, your needs as an artist. The other thing, and I think the most important thing is like, how do you plan on taking me from point A to B? And when does monetization come, come in as a factor for you? Because if you understand their motives around money and your career, you can understand how they're going to maneuver you and champion you as an artist. So if they say, you know what, I think we can monetize within six months, eight months, a year, you know that they've, they've, got, they've already factored that into some sort of plan. They've looked at where you are. They looked at your numbers. They looked at your socials. They've done like an assessment and been like, you know what, I can get them to this space in about six to eight months. Yeah. Right? So, and, and as a manager, you have to set that expectation. Like you can't just tell the artists they're great all the time. And then the last, I think the last, last, last question is how do you handle conflict? Mm. I've been in conversations with artists and they're telling me about their situations with managers and they hit that, 
there's a lull that you hit as an artist and a manager. Mm-hmm. It happens. It happens in in every management relationship. There's a lull where things aren't clicking. You know, you have to figure it out, and tensions start boiling, right? And <laughs> how the manager handles that situation will tell you yeah. everything you need to know. Because most most likely, one of two things happened. It went really well, or it went really bad. The ones that we hear about, the chance of rappers, you know, um, I think Miss La Familia had some issue with her label and her management. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you hear the stories, and you're like, well, did you guys not have that conversation of the conflict thing in the beginning? Like, yeah. how, did you, how do you handle conflict? Do you... Do you Mm. Are you outspoken? Do you raise your voice? Like just so that you can set the expectation of if this was to ever happen, you both can't take it personally yeah. because we both put it on the table as to this is how we handle the situation. Those are the important questions that I would get asked to to to, to ask because it and it helps you understand their plan and their vision for you, and to see if that aligns and to see if it makes sense to move it forward. Right, because if you're a sensitive person. And you know that the manager shouts when he when he gets into a conflict situation. That's probably that's probably not a good match and balance. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that, those things are super important. Beyond the money, beyond the all of that, those things are important. Right, Ross, our time is up. So we have one final question to ask you because we ask every guest the same final question. Drum which roll. is as new <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> as new music lovers we are yeah. recording this on the 12th of January 2024 what is one piece of new music that you yourself are loving right now you know what I'm loving the um, piano scene and the evolution of it right so mm. it started out like most music does in some sort of community club community but the fact that it's evolving into other genres is amazing yeah. I love that it's seeping into R&B, seeping into hip hop. You're, you're getting like mashups between Afrobeat and piano. Like the, the space is like really evolving and the artists that are coming out of there, to me, are just super creative. So that as a scene, like a music bed, I'm just like, yeah, I'm excited to see what there's in the next 12 months. Sick, like a pro. I bet the listener thought we were hyping it up when we mentioned that 1.2 bill figure. Yeah, I, I reckon they thought, this Mark guy, like, he doesn't know the difference between billion and million. Yeah. Was it like Turkish lira or Russian rubles? No, 1.2 billion pounds. That is one of the best, most powerful, precise stats I've heard of the example of, if you are up and running, you're in that quite teasing situation where it feels like you're doing quite well, but you've still got no money. There is a decent chance that there's a decent chunk of cash out there that you are actually owed. I talk about this a lot on my socials. One of the first steps to making more money from music is to collect the money that you are already owed. Yeah. And if you're playing shows to over 100 people regularly, Mm. if you're playing on festivals that are quite big, even if you're playing the small stages, Mm. if you have had radio play, particularly Mm. outside the UK, there's a decent chance you're owed at least a three-figure sum, like yeah. 200 quid or 300 yeah, quid or 400 quid. quid. Yeah. Speaking of a few hundred, if you would like to see a few hundred clips of music advice full of all of the things that you want to know, including sexy things like royalties and contracts and should I say yes to this dodgy geezer that's just offered me a fiver to sign my life away, then go on our Instagram, at Helping Musicians Pod. And maybe if you want to feel better about yourself... Go and look at Mark's Instagram too. <laughs> I wondered if you were going to say that and how you were going to say it. <laughs>